let us ask for the Lord's blessings here today over his word. We do give you thanks and praise, Lord God of heaven, that you have revealed your glorious son to us. Help us to believe in him and to follow him as you have called us to do, that we might enter the kingdom of the living God and enjoy the peace and the life that is yours and that is shared with us forevermore. Hear our prayers and uphold us now and teach us for Jesus' sake. Amen. You know, as we begin this morning, before we come to our text, I want us to hear the text in relationship to the idea that sometimes we have an understanding that's not true. Now, I'm going to tell on myself here a little bit. When I was a young man, I really enjoyed a movie that was filmed in 1981 called Time Bandits. Okay? And I must say, when I came back and wanted to share this exciting thing with my kids in my 40s, I looked at it and was like, this, this movie is so dumb. How could I have ever thought this was, this was good? Uh, when I was first thinking about this as an illustration, I thought, man, it's about 85, I was 15, how could I have been so foolish? I was glad to see that the movie was actually when came out when I was 11, and so I'll, I'll cry for some ignorance. But, but the, the plot is that, that these uh, angels who are like midgets are traveling through time, and they're, they're, they're greedy, and as they go through time, they're stealing different things from different historical figures. And in one of the scenes, they are there, and they go in, and they find Napoleon. And of course, Napoleon is a short fellow in, in stature in, their, in the movie, and they, they made fun of the fact that, you know, in a lot of pictures, you know, they think that you know, Napoleon had his hand inside his his uh, shirt there, or his jacket, and you know they, for some reason, I don't remember what they did to make Napoleon not conscious. But when they pull his hand out, his hand is gold. They unscrew it, take it off, and, and run off with it. And of course, you know what did I take out of that movie? That Napoleon was short, right? And so everywhere I turn, in different places, and things I've, I've I. Uh, know just had this idea Napoleon was short um, now he was shorter than me as it turns out okay I'm just about six foot tall and he was only five foot six now it could be that a number of his generals I know one of them was about six foot five right so you can see where that would be a drastic he might look small but the reality is that at five foot six he was a pretty standard Frenchman of the day. He really wasn't small. But I spent a good deal of my life thinking about him being small. And you know, we go through life drawing lots of conclusions from snippets of things, and dare I say, even our historical perspective based off of television and movies. But we do draw a lot of conclusions about all of life based off of things that aren't true. Let us today be humble and not let our experiences form our truth, but let us be subject to God's holy word. Our passage today is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Let's hear it. Let's think about not drawing our own conclusions, but submitting ourselves to 
God's holy word. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, as we talked about that, Amen, Amen. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, again, Amen, Amen. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes and where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, amen, amen, I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen, and you do not, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And Moses, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Now today's passage comes on the heels of Jesus turning the water into wine, Jesus going to the Passover and cleansing the temple. As it says in John 2.23, it says this, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, confirming the context of what we just heard. More than this, verse 24 of John chapter 2 says that Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men, and he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus did not commit himself to those who were taking notice of his actions, teachings, and miracles because they had an agenda of their own not tied to the scriptures. 
They had their way of looking at it, their truth, but it wasn't tied to the scriptures because, and Jesus knew this because he knew what was in their heart. Now, by way of introduction, I want us to think of a few things as John chapter 3 begins. First of all, we see this character, Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee and a ruler that is part of the Sanhedrin. Later, Jesus in this passage calls him the teacher. He didn't say, you are a teacher. Jesus himself called him the teacher of Israel. This is to say he was a prominent rabbi of the day, one of the preeminent rabbis of the day. And here he is coming to Jesus. Now, Nicodemus comes at night. Now, many people say he came at night because he was ashamed of coming to Jesus, and that could be so. But there could be a very practical matter here, right? We see, if you look at the Gospels, as you go through it, every time Jesus is doing things, what happens? People crowd in, right? People are always throngs or chasing after him. It could be as simple as to say, I need to get an appointment with this guy, Jesus, and his most, the, the time it'll be most, he'll, that he'll be most available is simply at night when the throngs aren't beating down the doors. So even though Nick, we're going to find and see that Jesus, I mean, that Nicodemus has his own agenda and he isn't ready for and hasn't submitted himself to the truth of God's word yet, I believe that the scriptures show us that he was earnestly trying to seek out Jesus. He wasn't hiding. You know, if we look at on and look at what the scriptures say about Nicodemus later, we see him come up in John chapter 7 and then John 19. It definitely seems that, that, G, that Nicodemus is more likely coming with an earnest heart. But he still, even with his good intention, lacked the proper understanding of Christ in his work. And that can happen to us as well. We can come to church on a Sunday with good intentions. We can hear the gospel with good intentions. We can hear God's word spoken, read, a podcast, however you're hearing it, with good intentions. But it doesn't mean that we understand it and understand Christ and the work that he came to do. Nicodemus, though, he knows that these miracles that Jesus is doing verify the fact that Jesus isn't just any kind of rabbi, but he is one, of course, that has come from God because only God does these types of signs. And so this is sort of the setup of what's going on with Nicodemus coming in. And then we see right away that Jesus comes in and, and speaks to the fact of being born of water and spirit. Now Jesus, just as the end of chapter 2 points out, knows what's in Nicodemus' heart. So he goes right to the issue at hand. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, that's that amen, right? This is firm. This is not wishy-washy. This is not negotiable. This is absolutely faithful and true, and it is so true. I'm going to make this point by saying amen and amens. It is true, it is true. Now remember that Mark chapter 1 passage where Jesus speaks with authority? He's speaking with authority, and he's pulling out both pistols here. He's saying, 
just a fact. doesn't matter what you think and what, what understanding you're bringing to all of this. This is so. And he says, unless you be born again, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And every woman in the room went, oh, that, that is not it. Okay? So, here Nicodemus is genuinely uncertain of what Jesus is saying. All of his views and the culture around him stands opposed to whatever Jesus is telling him. Again, Jesus stands his ground and replies. In verse 5, most assuredly, amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus speaks and says a couple of things here. Now, this is, this is important, right? This word being born again, and of course that became very popularized in the 1970s um, in, in the revival that the Lord brought to this country in the late 60s, early 70s. People said they were born again, and some, I think, thought they were born again, but God still used that movement became very popularized by Chuck Colson's book called Born Again. By the way, I highly recommend the book. It's a good read. But I, I want to tell you that it also means being born from above. It's not, again, just like the way we think about it. There is a second birth, but, but we got to understand what's going on here. And in this, when Jesus speaks of water and the Spirit... He is speaking of an understanding of creation. And we're going to come to that in a second. But Nicodemus appears to be in the dark, both in the time of day and perhaps also in the darkness of his understanding. John 1.5 says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness didn't comprehend it. Being in the dark, Nicodemus could not comprehend what Jesus is saying. Jesus is speaking of water of the Spirit, reminds us of creation. If we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And we see again that the Spirit and the water pick up again in verse 6. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. You know, Jesus is telling Nicodemus of the soon and coming new creation. God the Father has sent his Son to reconcile us to himself. And so... Just as the Spirit hovered over the waters in the first creation, the Spirit is involved and hovers over the waters in the new creation. 
One commentator shares it this way. And baptism says new creation. It proclaims the reconciliation of heaven and earth. Sons of Adam, we are of earth, barren in our sin. But baptism falls on us like a heavenly shower. And the font, at the font, we die to the old creation and rise in the new. By baptism, Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, says this, that man is being restored to God to the likeness of him who has been aforetime in God's image. As God's word and wind sculpted creation from the deep, so the spirit hovers over the font to shape new creatures. We are born again of water and the spirit. In the regenerating bath of holy baptism, and that is, we see in Titus 3, 5, that it says this. But when the kindness and love of God, this is verse 4, Titus 3, beginning of verse 4. But when, we, but when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ and our Savior that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So Jesus is, at, is, is saying there's a new creation that requires us to be reborn by the Spirit. We get this, this imagery of the Spirit and the water. And remember that, that when he talks about bringing up the firmament and dividing the waters, that he brought up the land out of the waters and that divided the waters and in the same way the spirit transforms us and brings us up through the waters as a new creation Jesus kingdom is set has is set the creation one where sin is atoned for and men can be reconciled to the father it is only in the new creation that we are able to fulfill the task of taking dominion and being fruitful so that our Father in heaven is glorified. Now we, like Nicodemus, question God's plan and method of salvation. In verse 9 of John 3, Nicodemus answered and said to Jesus, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and don't know these things? As Nicodemus heard Jesus' words, he was astonished. He was shocked. This kind of talk was scandalous. Nicodemus, like most Jews of his day, had put their trust in the idol of their lineage. Nicodemus' assurance did not come from faith in God for the forgiveness of sin, but Nicodemus' trust was in fact that Abraham is his father, and that when the Messiah came, he and all the other Jews would rule over the earth. Jesus once again speaks with complete assurance that his words are absolutely truth. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. So Jesus goes back and speaks Nicodemus' own words to him. And he says, we know and testify what we have seen. And, and, and in that, he says, you and all the other Pharisees and leaders of Israel of the day, you know that I am sent by God. You've said it yourself. And then he says, 
and you don't receive our witness. So here it is, I come to you, you know that I'm from God, I'm telling you these things, and you don't want to receive it. You don't want to receive the witness of who? The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Here, Jesus is reminding Nicodemus that he has not only stated these things, but he knows that he's a rabbi sent by God. Jesus then goes on and says, If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I explain heavenly things? Jesus is going to explain the heavenly things because he has descended from heaven to bring both light and life. We see that in John chapter 1. Even though Nicodemus was learned of the scriptures and religious, like most of his day, excuse me, he trusted in something other than God's plan for his salvation. We, too, often put on religious trappings and trust in other means to salvation from sin. Now, we're going to see here that Jesus is going to set the record straight. Jesus is going to speak about being lifted up on the cross being lifted up from the grave, and being lifted up to the right hand of the Father. And here in John 3, in verse 13, it says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now Jesus is referencing the story in Numbers chapter 21. Jesus is repeating the record of Israel's discouragement and doubt that leads to speaking against God. Numbers 21 in the second half of verse 4 starts up and says, And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. That is the path that God was taking them. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And as they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Now repentance and faith are the message to be delivered for Israel at this time. Numbers 21, verse 8 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. We know that Moses did as the Lord said and made the serpent and lifted it up so that all who were bitten could look up and be saved. Jesus, because of the love of God, has been sent to bring life through his death. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, in, in this passage in Numbers 21, the people of God, they've had victories against Pharaoh. They've had 
all their needs taken care of, all of this has happened, and yet they continue to grumble and complain. And not only that, they speak against God. And they dislike what God has provided for them to sustain them. And they speak against God. Can you imagine? What about you and I? Do we speak doubts and discouragement and speak out against God because God isn't laying out our life the way we expected it to be? Do we not recognize that we need to look to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins? The only way to life is through Jesus Christ. Immortality through the resurrection is part of the gospel. But it is the work of the Spirit to wash and regenerate us to true life now, in the present. You can't see it in our English language, but I can tell you that when he speaks, when Jesus speaks of eternal life, it is not just eternal life in the future. Like when we get to heaven, okay, I've got my card, I can pull it out, my ticket, I'm ready to get in. No, this, this life that he has brought begins when God transforms us by the work of Jesus Christ. And we are to have life and live life according to this truth. We must not act as if we are the people of Israel speaking against God and his word. We cannot be like Nicodemus who looked to his idol of being the son of Abraham as his way to God. One of the reasons that Satan used the political message about the Messiah destroying the political rivals of Israel was twofold. The first is because it is what itching ears wanted to hear, right? You, you, you've got troubles, you have difficulties, you want deliverance from them, and you want deliverance the way that you think it ought to be. We want to see those that oppress us. We want to see them just turned over and we're put in their place. It's what itching ears want to hear. You know, the, they wanted to be elevated against their oppressors and to see others brought to their knees. Secondly, Satan wanted Israel to keep their attention on vengeance towards others and not their own sin. Death was upon them, and they did not want to look up and see Jesus lifted up, first on the cross then from the grave, and above all, they did not want to see Jesus lifted up at his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Why? Because that would mean their submission to him. People of God, there's no life apart from Jesus. Our sinful natures draw us to look to life through any other means other than Jesus and his word. When we find our own truth and way to life, we lose our life. Think of Matthew chapter 10 where it says, He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. When we prop up idols to give us life, God tests our idols to show what is in our hearts. The more we cling to our own desires of life, we become deaf to the word of God. Matthew 16 tells us, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, God's word is clear that Jesus is both life 
and the light that leads us from darkness. John 1.4 says, In him, that is Jesus, was life, and life was the light of men. John 5 tells us, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him the authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. So God, through Jesus, has brought us life. But it is with authority. Jesus says in John 6, I'm the bread of life. In John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What are all these verses telling us? There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. We know that in John 14, he says this, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And of course, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way of life. Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God and to know God. Our eternal life is about being bonded to God in communion. Not just at the table, but throughout our daily life. From the beginning, God has been about the mission to reconcile us to himself. From Genesis to Revelation, God's plan to draw near to man to be, is, and to be reconciled to man. When we hear this, we need to know that God did love the world and that he did give his son and that we need to believe in him. We know that in Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that through him, that is Jesus, we both have access, access by one spirit to the Father. Again, eternal life does include immortality in the resurrection, but it is more than that. Eternal life is life now. We are resurrected from the state of being dead in our sins. In Christ, we can now live, as Jesus says in John 10, to have life and life more abundantly. The outworking of Christ being lifted up on the cross, being lifted up at the resurrection, and being lifted up at the ascension is life more abundant. As we are in his light, and as the Lenten season reminds us, when we come into his light, we must confront our sin. We must confess our sin and turn from our sin. Jesus' love is demonstrated not by tolerating or ignoring sin, but by confronting it by his death for us. We know there at the very end of John 3 that there is condemnation and there is also life. And that we should come into the light. Verse 21 says, But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. People of God, you need to turn and see your sin. You need to ask God to show you what your idols are, to see who you're trusting in. Are you trusting in something other than Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you trusting in something other than Jesus Christ to be reconciled to the Father? God did send his son because he loves us. But what do we know? That love hates evil. We live in an age where people have, have rejected the instruction of Isaiah chapter 5 that says this, 
Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Jesus told the truth. Jesus loved us by showing us our sin. We must first hate sin as defined by the scripture in our own lives and love others by telling them the truth so that they may live. Jesus hated sin so much that he came and suffered and died for us that we might be reconciled to the Father. Let us remember Jesus' words to hate sin to the point where we, are, where we cut out things from our lives that lead us to sin. We talked about that last week. Don't ignore sin. Confront it. Confess it. Turn from it. Grace is available to you, God's people. Let us rejoice because Jesus was lifted up on the cross, lifted up in the resurrection, and lifted up to the right hand of the Father. Therefore, as Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word, your Son, who is the incarnate word. Thank you for giving us life through him. Thank you for your spirit that takes us out of Adam and brings us into the new creation in Jesus. Thank you for the new life that you have granted us. Thank you for forgiving our sins so that we don't have to drag them around anymore. Thank you for freeing us from sin's dominion. Help us to live, O oh Lord, in newness of life, to live in such a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.